Welcome to the Life Melbourne podcast. We're so glad you're joining us for another hope-filled message. We pray that you're encouraged by this powerful word from our Sunday service. And it's so great to be connecting with everybody this morning, right across here in New Zealand and on in Australia. We just love you all, praying for you, believing God. I'm thanking God for the strength to be here today and to share what I believe is gonna be a life-moving, altering series that we are gonna get into. In fact, uh, we're gonna be talking about eternity. And uh, the more I've researched it, the more I realize that I have not gone there enough. You go, what do you mean by that? What I mean by that is understanding what eternity really means. I think it's gonna take a whole lot more than a couple of weeks. We're gonna take a lot more time to understand the truth of what the Bible shares is what we were created for. And I know that we've been standing in worship. I'm gonna get everybody to stand one more time and no matter how uncomfortable it feels, come on, why don't we stand? We're gonna pray and we're gonna personally, not just the guy at the front, but personally ask God by the power of the Holy Spirit to cause something to change who we are. Holy Spirit, we are thankful for your presence. We thank you for the way that you reveal Jesus to us. We thank you how you bring the heart of the Father into perspective and you bring clarity and conviction at the same time. And we just ask you to enable us to have a capacity today to hear what we need to hear. And we honour you in Jesus' name. Bless those we're standing next to today. Amen. Amen. Give someone a high five as you take your seat. Amen. Well, I think you've heard it enough and uh, definitely across the world there is an understanding in the church that there is a global shift that's taking place. And I'm amazed by how many Christians are surprised by what is taking place because I do know that the Bible makes it really clear there's a whole lot more to come. And sometimes if we don't understand the seasons and the times, we are going to get caught in a trap of confusion. And we should be those that have a faith that understand what God says is happening. And prophetic, prophetically, I think there is a shift in seasons. I believe as I've gone to God that the Holy Spirit has been trying to show me that we are in a whole new dispensation of time that we are closer to the end than we've ever been before. And the enemy is well aware that his time is getting shorter and shorter and shorter. And so we should not be in fear around what's taking place, but we should know because of God's Word that there is a more challenging time to come. So I wanna read a lot of Scripture today. I'm gonna begin in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. And Paul writes these words, but we know this. The question is, do we know this? That in the last days, perilous times will come. That people will be lovers of themselves. Oh. Lovers of money, you might go, what does that mean? We're more fixated on material gain. Lovers of money, they'll be boasters. They'll talk about the kingdom that they are building. They'll be proud, they'll be blasphemers, they'll be disappoint, uh, disobedient to parents. They'll become unthankful, 
unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal. Here it is, despisers of good. Traitors, headstrong. Don't point to anyone. Always know better than anyone else. Haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Literally, if you break that down as I love to do, it's kind of like we have become subject to a shift from presence to pleasure. There is something that's taken a hold of our hearts that has caused us to become more focused on this world than the things that have eternal value. Paul goes on in verse five, having a form of godliness, we deny its power. And Paul says quite bluntly, those kind of people you need to live at an arm's length from. Poor. It's not the kind of teaching we get in church that often, but it's like, well, God, where is your power in my life? God, where is the demonstration of the supernatural? God, why is it that the church is not seeing what you promised us to see, which would be days of greater things than you saw? And you then begin to analyze what Paul was teaching the church that was under a lot of pressure there in Timothy. And he says, you realize that a lack of power is because you've drifted in the pleasure, not presence. That your life is actually through a filter that is seen through what's happening around you. You know, the enemy's plan, of course, is to instill fear, to create isolation, to cause us to become focused on distraction. And by the way, I hope you're with me over there in Oz because this is gonna be a challenging but also a life-changing message. The enemy's commitment is to foster reaction rather than response and ultimately to produce division. We've just been through a season called COVID globally. There's more division in the church that has come by COVID than anything else. Maybe because we haven't realized that the enemy is using something to create a division even in the church. And we have bought into all kinds of philosophy. A lot of them have come through the internet. We've become fearful about control rather than realizing there is a God who's sovereign and in control. I'm gonna go there this morning because I feel like I'm not the senior pastor. He's in South, I've got a lot more license. Today, sorry, Pastor Luke, down in South today. But it's kind of like, you know, people that have left church because of decisions that some people in church have made, maybe the leaders of church, maybe they've been in the church for 20 plus years and then because of a 10 week period and some decisions that they didn't agree with, they've up and said, that's it. And you go, you know what? The enemy's having a field day in your life. Don't become a lover of yourself. Don't become somebody that is a despiser of good, that you become headstrong, you know better than the Word of God, but come back to a place, kind of it's like Y2K revisited. Christians filling their bath up with water. 
worrying about this is the end of time. It's just a rotating cycle that the enemy uses and our response should be not to be fighting the truth, but to fight fear, to respond and not react, to come back to Ephesians 6 where Paul again says, your fight is not with people, your fight is not with things of this world, but spiritual powers, principalities that are trying to rob you from understanding what true life is all about. Some people say, well, Pastor Paul, how, how are you coping with some of the stuff you're going through and you know, all this stuff with COVID and that, I go, hey, just go back to the early church and have a look at history and realize that Paul was in times that he was fully out of control in, but his message stayed true. Realize that each of the disciples, I think just about all of them, 11, were crucified the birthing of the early church, people were in prison for years and murdered for their faith. And here we have a little shaking on the world in the modern day Christian because we're wrapped up in 2 Corinthians 3, 1 to, come on, 4, have lost the power of God to be able to stand true. Here's Paul. He finds himself in prison. This is how he responds to his COVID season. In labors more abundantly. This is my life in stripes. Above measure in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, they were the godly people, the godly chosen race. Five times I received 40 stripes minus one. That's 39 if you're not good at math. <laughs> Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. What's your resume look like as a Christian? A day and a night I've been in the deep because I was shipwrecked. In journeys more often, in perils of water, perils of robbers, and perils of my own countrymen, those closest to me. Perils of the judgment, uh, Gentiles, perils in the city, perils in the wilderness, perils in the sea, perils in false brethren. In weariness and in toil and sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst and fastings often, in cold, in nakedness. And yet in the middle of all of this, beside the other things, what comes upon me is my deep concern for God's house. I think any one of these scriptures, you could take a lifetime of meditation and just say, God, I... I got a heart that needs changing. See, Paul lived from an eternal perspective. He said things like this, what things were gained or I gained in this life that I gained, he says, I counted them loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I counted all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, that I may gain Christ. I wonder how we should respond. And as we look at eternity, as I said at the beginning, we're going to need a lot more time around eternity to get a full perspective. But I've entitled the series Engaging Eternity. And as you can see on the screen behind me, we need to get a telescope. And we've got to look past the confines of our now and natural. 
And we're going to focus on the fact that the ministry of Paul was around and was through the filter of eternity. Everything that Jesus taught, he taught from eternity. Everything that we tend to do is we look at it from our now. And so therefore, Jesus was teaching the disciples in John 14, verse 1, don't let your heart be troubled. Let's just park there. You carry the responsibility of your own heart response. We're in a world that says you're not responsible for the way you feel. Jesus says, no, you are responsible for the emotions of your now and what's on the inside of you. Don't you allow your heart to be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Daily focus on eternity. Take your telescope out and say, you know what? What's happening around me is not the end of the story I was born for something far greater than this. And then Jesus went on to make it really clear in verse two, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, and by the way, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if it were not so, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. As I stop and I think about our last year, over the last couple of weeks, Marie and I, looking back over our year, I, I think, I can't believe what we've gone through. I don't know how many parts of my body have been taken out. I don't even know when they ask me what tablets are you on. I don't know, I have about 15 a day. Couldn't tell you what they do. I can't tell you about how many seizures or unexpected things that have taken place, how memory loss and even not the ability to drive myself. For a male, how many know that's a big hurdle to jump? <laughs> and the challenge of that, and yet in the middle of it, there have been so many insights, so many reminders and so many revelations. As I said before, what do you do when you totally don't expect it? But you're told medically you have stage four cancer and you're terminal. There is no real answer to your condition. And then I've said to a number of people, I've had to come to terms that there are two possible outcomes. One is that my life will be shorter than I thought it would be. Or the other one is I will be healed. And I'll live my life to continue to propagate the purpose of the gospel and to help people understand it's about eternity and not about this life. Only to have some Christians say, well, that's a lack of faith to even believe that you could pass away. And yet I go, no, I think the purposes of God are far different to the purposes of a life lived just for now. In fact, I'd put it like this. I've learned that we see further in darkness in the tough times and the unexpected times than we do see in the light. Because in the light, what we do is we create the now world and we become preoccupied with the now world. But when the now world is challenged, then we find ourselves going, what are we gonna do with this? We go deeper and we get dependent on a God that reveals the things we could have never seen if we were distracted with the now world. 
And that's where life begins to take a whole different meaning. So I want to share some things about eternity and how we take the telescope and we begin to engage eternity in our current situation because that's what Paul did. And that's what Jesus did. And when they did these incredible things in the worst of times, not my will, but thine be done, it was because he was engaged and focused on eternity, not on the now. When Stephen was being stoned, he could stand and lift his eyes towards heaven because he had his telescope focused on eternity, not his now. And the challenge of that is so amazing because you see, to engage eternity, we'll discover that eternity will establish lasting completeness. Here's the first thought. Every human being finds themselves searching for more. We find ourselves in this current life looking for completeness. We're looking for fulfillment. We're trying to find an answer here on this earth. But I'm here to tell you, you will have an ongoing search for fulfillment until you bring into focus eternity. Because eternity is gonna be in God's economy, the place where you will discover completeness. And so the buying of more and more and the accumulation of more and more will not give any of us, even with faith, the completeness that we're looking for. In fact, I would go as far as to say that we were never created for the world we experience. So you were created for a natural life here on earth that had an enemy that had free reign, that had sickness, that had torment, that had sin, that breaks down the purpose of God in your life. You were not created to have that fight. No, you weren't never created for the world we experience. In fact, I see my earthly pilgrimage now as a war zone. It's like, well, why is it so hard? Because you're in a war zone. Talk to somebody that's been through a war. They'll open their shirt and say, look at that scar. They'll talk about the emotional scarring of losing their best buddy in fight. Here we're in the fight where there is an enemy that has a ability to move for a season. But when you focus in on eternity, you realise that eternity establishes lasting completeness. You don't have to keep looking for more. You realise that wherever you find yourself. See, the enemy's devices, as I said, is one of disappointment or distraction. When you realize you're in a war zone, when you get a terminal prognosis, it's like, well, the enemy's having a go. And whatever the outcome is, it's okay. I'm heading for eternity. So I can talk about the fact that my life may be short if the sovereignty of God allows it. God doesn't create harm. I've said it before at funerals, you hear how people say God took him, God took her. God doesn't take anything, God receives the enemy is the author of death, not God. And as we understand that, we realize that this life was never the life we were made to live. So why do we put all of our eggs and time and focus just to build more, to try and find completeness? No, eternity is the place of completeness. Somebody getting some help? It's the power of God working in and through us I think I'd put it like this, the less God we have, the more stuff we need. 
Now, stuff's not bad as long as God is the author of our completeness, not the things. By the way, earthly possessions have a limited shelf life. The psalmist David put it like this in Psalm 39 and verse four. Lord, would you make me, I love this prayer. Would you make me to know my end? Would you remind me or show me the measure of my days that I might know how frail I am? Isn't it amazing when you have a big prognosis, you realize how frail you are. In day, indeed, said David, my days are as a hand's breadth. Four fingers wide is the literal translation. That's my life. And by the way, God, my age is as nothing before you. Not fair that a baby would die so young. Death is never fear because we were never created to experience death. But sin has brought death into our existence and yet we stand and blame God for it. My age is nothing before you. Certainly every man in his best state is but a vapor. <sighs> and yet we put all our energy here. We're in a society that says you need to live for you. You need to be who you feel you are. And God says your life is but a vapor. And eternity needs to come into focus. You need to develop a telescope that brings eternity right into your now. Second Corinthians chapter 4. In verse 16, Paul understood eternity. As I said, he lived with his telescope on. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. How can you be so positive? The oncologist said to me recently, you look too good for the condition you have. I said, well, we're all getting old, mate. Though the outward man is perishing, let me put it one step further, though the outward circumstances are falling apart. Yet the inward man is what? Being renewed? <laughs> or is it being renewed day by day? Or is it once a month when it's convenient to get into church? How many are thankful I'm not your senior pastor anymore? For our light affliction, Paul's light affliction, we just read his light affliction, spending our whole life in prison, stoned, shipwrecked. It's but for a moment, because my life is just a hand's breath. It's just a vapour. And it is working in us a far more exceedingly excellent weight of glory. While we do not look at the things that are, whoa, seen. We pitch the telescope onto the things that are yet to be seen, the not seen. For the things that are seen are temporary. The things that are not seen are eternal. It's kind of like at the beginning of our prognosis, Marie and I found ourselves going, what's this all about, God? 
Ever felt like that? Why would you allow this to happen? What's it all about? Because if it's happening, then I've got to accept you're sovereign. You've allowed it. You haven't created it. You've allowed it. Why is it happening? And I felt like God say very clearly, Paul, you've been entrusted with it. Hmm. And this is about a bigger picture because you're going to find treasures in the darkness. One of those treasures is the fact that I've realized I see further in darkness because my dependence changes. Why would God allow people to go through hard things like losing a job or having a spouse walk out on them? Well, that's to do with a spouse's decision, by the way. Why would God allow sickness? Why would God allow stillborn babies? I think God understands because he's a God that's eternal. To go, you were never created to have the answers to the world you're living in or to live through that. But as you live through it, you'll be able to relate to others that don't know me. Hello? Because my whole mission is about getting all of humanity into eternity with me. And when you go through the realities of life, you can minister. I can't explain how proactive I've become in this state and hospitals everywhere, sharing my faith with people. Because my life is about the mission of saying, I know how you feel, but it's not the end of the story. You were born for eternity. There's a God that loves you. And so what we're going through is to take us to a place where we see further. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 1, uh, verse one Paul goes on and he says, after chapter 4, for we know that if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God. A house that's not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, for we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. Do you? When was the last time you groaned? Going, God, I just can't wait for eternity. See the shift? No, I'm so preoccupied with just everything I have that helps my kind of feeling of value. Indeed, being clothed, we shall be found naked. We who are in this tent grown being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Paul saw his life as one of human challenge. It was not his destination. And as we set a foundation for eternity, I'm just saying that eternity literally is this place of completion. Our search is for fulfillment in this world. Our search is for acceptance, only to discover that true intimacy is not even in a finding of a partner, a spouse, and the sexual intimacy. Intimacy comes out of a relationship with God. And God says, if you would change your perspective, if I would learn to change my perspective, that God would bring us to a place where we are reminded that eternity is where lasting completion or, or literal completeness takes place. 
The second thought would be this, is eternity will bring clarity to confusion. How many people say, oh, I feel bad about asking you this question. I said, why? There are many questions. I've got many questions that I've come to realize that they cannot be answered until I enter eternity. See, the enemy's arrows, often one of the arrows he uses is an unanswered question, but why would that happen? We cannot understand or nor answer some of those questions. Seasons of natural confusion all around us. As I said, there are these times where we face things, things like death. How many Christians have walked away from God because a loved one has died that they prayed for? And you go, well, God, why would you allow this to happen? As I said, we're in a war zone. If you've been through a war zone, you'll know people die along the way. Life as we know it, I wanna say it again, it's not God's intended destination. Here is something that I believe can change and help you with the questions that you have as it's helped me is that God responds from an eternal perspective. So God actually allows things to happen because He looks from eternity back. Whereas we look from our present day now forward. Oh, there are many Christians that are still living today from their past. Come on, shame and regret from the things you've done in the past. But you came to Christ. He died for your shame. He died for your sin. He died for the things and compromise, things that happened to you that you never invited, that destroyed you as a young person, as a young kid maybe. You went through abuse and all those things. Stop living from your past. Realize that God lives from eternity. And He says, I went to the cross. And the reason I went to the cross is to deliver you from the pain of your past. Why do we keep sinning? Because we allow the shame to stay with us. That's why Paul says things like, not have I attained, have I made it yet, but I do not count myself as one that has apprehended, apprehended but I forget the past. See, God works back from eternity. If I were to pass early in life and things were to, be cut short, I've got to secure myself in the revelation that God thought it was best for the eternal picture. I think I've had more impact in the last year in the ministry that I've been able to do than I could have ever done before because more people are seeing the enemy and the way that he works and what we don't have to give in to, nor do we need to understand. I'm telling you, you cannot have the answers to some of the questions here in this life except to know that God is sovereign and he's working from eternity back. And once you get there, you will see exactly why that was allowed to happen. Because we see further in darkness than we do in light. And I love how that God wants to take us to a new place. Ecclesiastes 3.10, Solomon, I have seen the God-given task with which the son of men are to be occupied. He is, this is God. God has made everything beautiful in its time. By the way, that time does not just mean human life. In his time, his eternal picture. He has put eternity, verse 11, into our hearts 
except that no one can find out the work of God, which he does from the beginning to the end. He explains that in our humanness, we will not be able to find clarity to all of the questions, but eternity will give us that clarity. Are you hearing me? Confusion exists in our earthly season. How are we doing with that? It's like I accept there's confusion over many things, but I know too that trust in God's sovereignty produces peace. So I can be at peace talking about the possibility of my life being short. By the way, I'm not giving in and believing it will be, but if the boss says it's best for eternity, then I'm in and I'm able to take that. We see in a mirror, Paul writes, he writes, ministers live from eternity backwards. 1 Corinthians 13, 12, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Right here we know in part, but then we shall know just as we are known. And we'll look back and say, why did we waste our lives living with questions that caused us to become distracted or divided? I used to play chess with my dad. One of the keys come and help me and I was okay. Dad was better than me, but I discovered in chess, if you're gonna become a master champion, you gotta live not just on the now. You at times will allow some of the valuable pieces you have to be taken in light of your seven step plan. Master chess players play seven possible moves in front. They have a capacity in their brain to do it. Christians should move with eternity. That regret's got to go. That confusion's got to go. The questions have got to go. They, they're real, but you can park them in the sovereignty, eternal perspective of God. Eternity will establish lasting completeness. Eternity will bring clarity to confusion because God works from eternity back. When you understand that, you're at peace. And by the way, eternity, oh, this is a big one, will involve one of two judgments. We're gonna come back to the Word of God throughout this series and the time we take on eternity because my feeling is Christendom has been watered down by people that don't believe. I think we don't wanna hear the things that can be challenging. Did you realise there is a judgment according to God's Word, both for the believer and the non-believer? When this life is finished and we face eternities, believers are gonna be judged for the level of their kingdom investment. Not their material possessions, not what people saw them as being, but what level of eternal difference did they make? Non-believers are gonna be judged whether their names are written in the Lamb's book of life. See Romans 14, 10, for we shall all stand, not just some, before the judgment seat of Christ, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee, not some, every knee will bow, Every tongue will confess whether you do it in this world or not. Every tongue will confess. 
to God. And each of us shall give an account of himself. So how did you do in the war season? How did you do when the enemy attacked? What did you become preoccupied with? All will stand, all will bow, and all will give an account. He goes on in 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 11, because you realise there is no other foundation that can be laid than that which is Christ Jesus. And if anyone builds on a foundation with the material of this world, the gold, the silver, precious stones, the wood, the hay, the stubble, our straw, each one's work will become clear for the day, the judgment day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. Fire will test each one and what has been built. And if anyone's work that he has built endures, he shall receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. You see, it's all about learning as a Christian that our responsibility has not finished. It's just beginning. Kingdom seed creates an eternal harvest. Just a quick story. I won't read the email, but I had an email this last couple of weeks from a guy in Tauranga. And he says, I don't know if this will get to you or not, but I just wanted to say thank you. I'm a 33-year-old man. I'm married. I'm a Christian. Became a Christian at 18. I've spent my last five years sharing. I've got seven children we're looking after. And I've been crying out to God saying, God, I don't know how I could ever provide a foundation for these kids for their future. My walk, wife walked into a secondhand store just last week or a week or two ago and there was a book that caught her eye, the colour and the title, God, Money and Me. And it was $2, so she bought it. <laughs> Took it home and she said, you need to read this because we've got all these questions about how do we do money God's way. And he said, I sat by my bed for a week. I was looking up thinking, I've got to read it, but I just didn't get onto it. Then I picked it up and I couldn't put it down for two days. I read the whole thing and he says, I discovered there is a pathway. I can't explain to you when God asked me to write on money and I knew how a lot of people would respond to that, that I was not just writing about money, I was confronting the spirit of mammon which has grabbed the human heart in the church and outside of the church. If you can't go God's way with your money, mammon has got your soul. And he just said, look, I feel so bad that we paid $2. I wanna pay you for the book I said to Marie, we're going to send him a free copy of every book we've written. And it's kind of like, but what I'm saying is, if you don't invest, you don't know the seeds God can use. <laughs> There's a believer's judgment. By the way, you say, well, I thought heaven was a, was a removal of everything bad. No, it's going to be a judgment that is based on reward, not regret. There's no regret in heaven, but there is reward. There are Christians that are gonna enter into eternity with greater reward than other Christians, but there will be no regret. There will be no sorrow. There will be no sin. There'll be no residual stuff from sin. It's gonna be completely free. We're gonna talk about heaven a lot in this series. You say, how does that work? Well, let me just say, it's a bit like the 
Olympics, you see the Olympic champions get the podium and get the rewards, but anyone that's been an Olympian, many of them have tattooed the five rings. I'm an Olympian. And they have that sense of reward. I got to the Olympics. I didn't get where I wanted and there's still more. I think heaven, by the way, there's gonna be still more for us to discover. We're gonna go there. And look at that. But there are gonna be a number of us that are gonna get there and we're only gonna get there as by fire, the Bible says. The fire, that's how close it is. Colossians 3, 1. If you've been raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not the things of this earth. And then of course, the non-believers, there's another judgment. That judgment is based on the names that are written in the Lamb's book of life. Remember Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions. Then Thomas says to Jesus in verse six, uh, verse five rather, he says, you say you're going, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? You know what Jesus said? He says, I am the way, the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. We're in a day where some people with faith go, well, you know, you can't tell me that people aren't gonna get into heaven that did good in their lives. Good doesn't get you to heaven, Jesus gets you to heaven. Until you come and submit and bow your knee to Jesus and receive His forgiveness, you say, why? Because sin must be paid for. Goodness does not pay for that. Sin has a price tag called death. Jesus paid that on our behalf. And if you plan around and you plan with sin, I'm saying to you today, maybe today, God is saying it's time to get right. Turn your life over to Him fully because sin will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And if we're a carrier of that sin and it hasn't been forgiven, we will not be there. And that might sound fearful. I don't want it to be fearful. I'm just wanting to preach the Word of God. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Again, let me finish with Revelation 20 and verse 12. I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And the books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And those that were not found, verse 15, written in the book of the life were cast into a lake of fire. When you do your research, people say to me, well, how can a God of love put people in a lost fire for eternity? Not just for a season, but eternity. That lake of fire, the Bible says, was made for the devil and his angels. It was never made for people. We get to choose while we're living whether we come under the forgiveness of what Jesus did. And so we don't spend eternity removed from God and in anguish. It's not like the world would draw us. We're gonna party in hell. No, there'll be no party in hell. There'll be absolute regret. But we get to make a choice today that Jesus came saying, I'm the way, the truth and the life. And I'm gonna finish today and I wanna pray seriously for every person online, every person in the locals, every campus, here in the auditorium that knows in their heart they're not right with God. 
And I know you might come to church and hear this at the end of every one of our services because the most important thing is ensuring your eternal status, out of which everything else flows. By the way, everything we do in life should be helping people to get to eternity. If we really understood it, yeah, we're at a funeral and you know, they lived a good life, we'll see them again, possibly not. Only God will make that judgment. But your sin has to be surrendered. If you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'm gonna pray right now. I wanna encourage you to pray this prayer honestly with me. If you know you're not right with God, would you pray this prayer with me? Online, you can do that, every one of us. I want you to just bow your head for a moment. I'm gonna ask every auditorium, I'm gonna ask everyone in, in their lounge room, I'm gonna ask everyone that's in a local, if you say, Paul, I know I'm not right with God and today I wanna leave this place right with God, would you lift your hand up boldly, unashamed? Lift it up high and say, that's me. I wanna get right with God. I wanna know I'm right with God. Come on, lift them up nice and high. Fantastic. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Come on, lift them up and just say, that's me, Paul. I know I need to get right with God. If you can't do it here, you're not gonna make the shift. It's gonna cost you. Jesus went all the way for you. God bless you. God bless you. Awesome. Hands everywhere. Come on, let's pray this prayer out loud. Say, God, today, Thank you that you died for me so I could live forgiven. And today I bring my life to you and I surrender who I am to your Lordship. And I receive you as my Lord and Saviour. My past is forgiven and your power surrounds me. In the name of Jesus, Amen. Can we praise God for every one of those decisions? Because God is able. And I'd love you to stand to your feet. We're gonna sing together. And we're gonna just declare, Satan, you do not have the final say. And we're gonna see the glory of God take us to new levels in Jesus' Name, Amen. Come on, can we praise Him? Come on, the one who's won the victory, the one who made it way, the one who leads us from outside in. The one who sees all and is above all. Father, we thank You for Your sovereignty. We thank You that You are the name that is above. We thank You, Lord God, that You've called us all by name and set us apart. I thank You, Lord, that we are here for such a time as this. I thank You, Lord, that we get to carry the greatest message of all. Father, I just pray today that there to be something cemented in our heart afresh, a new posture, a new position, a new perspective. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. You say amen. 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 Come on, let's honour God. Let's thank Him. We trust that you are encouraged by this powerful message. You always have a place to call home here at Life. And we invite you to join us for our Sunday services at our Melbourne campus. If you're not in Melbourne, then join us for church online, wherever you are in the world. Just head to lifeau.org to stay connected and find out more.